11 weeks now, we've been, uh, I've been telling you uh, all of these important things that we need to know and believe as we live out our, our, uh, our faith, as we live out what it means to follow God. These things are essential to our faith. And there's so much that we've covered and there's, there's really so much that we, we haven't touched. Um, but, but all through this series, I guess all, all sermon series must come to an end. And apparently so must the, the world, right? Uh, we must come to the end. Uh, that, that's the last essential. We need to, to know what the Bible says about end things. The, uh, the, the theological term for this is eschatology. Uh, and if you didn't know that, you're in good company. I went to seminary and um, uh, sitting in class and they started talking about this thing called eschatology. And I was like, Esca, what? What, the, what is going on? I don't quite get it. I was a business major in college. I had some catching up to I, That's what I guess what I'm saying. Some catching up to do when I stepped into, into seminary. And, uh, and so, uh, but eschatology is simply the study of end things. And so uh, what's going to happen at the end of this life as we know it. it. And it's important for us to know how the Bible describes the end of the world so we can be ready for it. We've been, uh, we've been proclaiming a few statements week after week, and we just did it again here in the Apostles' Creed. And uh, uh, th- some of the statements in the Creed point to uh, a time that is coming when life as we know it will end. We've said things like G- that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. We've said that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Really, and we're talking about these end things, we're, we're talking about two different realities that we all face. First, there will be an end to our individual earthly existence. We're all going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church today to get that encouragement, to really get lifted up, right? We're all going to, our lives individually will come to an end. We, we, that's, that's a reality that we all face. The second reality is that we, uh, uh, that the, the world as we know it is going to come to an end. And, and either way, uh, an end is coming, right? And, and knowing that affects what we do in the meantime. I guess what I'm saying is knowing that we're going to die changes how we live. Right. If, if, if we know that that something is is coming, there's an end coming somewhere. It changes how we live now. Now, we could go into a lot of go a lot of different directions today. But but ultimately, I, I want to avoid and I think in our lives we should avoid a couple of extremes. Uh, we shouldn't build our entire spiritual lives on uh, these last things. This this shouldn't just drive our our entire lives. But we also can't avoid the entire topic either. We we, we need to acknowledge it. And, and so today, let me just paint with uh, with broad strokes for a minute. Just kind of lay out the the landscape, so to speak. Scripture tells us that when God decides that it's the right time, he's going to send Jesus back to earth. He will be visible to everyone, not just to Christians. The dead and the living will meet him in the air, it says, because we are all heading toward something called Judgment Day. In describing how all of that happens, many events are, are listed in, in uh, what, what has been called the apocalyptic literature of the Bible. Uh, and it can kind of get a little confusing, maybe even a little scary. And we could probably just call it what it is. It's just a little weird, 
Right there, there are descriptions of dragons and beasts and and violence. There are plagues and and someone called the Antichrist and uh, tr- times of tribulation. There there seems to be lots of fire involved. There's always fire popping up somewhere in in all of this stuff. And there's blood. There's a lot of blood uh, showing up in all of this stuff. There's wars and there's angels and and there's a lamb who who was killed, but now it's reigning on the throne. And then there's Jesus on a white horse and and he's he's riding in and he has a sword in his mouth. And I mean, it's just uh, all of that, man, it just can be a little confusing. And this, this confusing apocalyptic stuff, uh, as, as we read through it, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about it. Many pastors and authors and theologians have written books and, and, and mapped things out and, and made big charts and graphs and, and videos and, and movies and written books and, and all the things all about exactly how they think this stuff is going to pan out. I, I think I've told you before, about my uh, traumatic childhood experience with this stuff. I grew up uh, going to a Christian school. Being in that environment, we had the privilege of not just learning all the academic stuff, like, uh, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but we also had Bible class each day. And so in the fourth grade, our teacher thought that it would be a great idea to make sure that we all knew about all of this end-time stuff. All the fire and the dragons and the persecution and the people disappearing in a rapture. I mean, it was a, a wonderful idea to tell a class of unsuspecting nine and ten year olds all of this stuff and then pat them on the heads and send them home for supper, right? Over the course of that year, we, we learned that Jesus was coming back probably soon, maybe tonight, and we'd better watch out. And there, there would certainly be a rapture where God's people would be taken away. And if you weren't right with God, you'd be left to face the torment and the trial and the tribulation. I'm not ashamed to admit that as a fourth grader, I mean, it scared the living daylights out of me, right? For that year, and, and actually for several years after that, I lived with the thought in the back of my mind that, uh, as, as that famous book series would later describe, that I lived with the thought that, that I was probably going to be left behind. I remember uh, at one point coming into the family room one evening and, and the lamp was on, but nobody was there. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened? Oh, well, somebody probably just, they probably had to go in the restroom. And I kind of went through the back hall. Nobody's in the back and started to freak out a little bit. And then my mom and dad came in the front door from walking around, around the neighborhood after dinner, enjoying a good, and just, okay, well, okay, all right, good. Uh, several other stories along those lines, but uh, uh, one night I remember waking up at like, I don't know, 2 a.m. in great fear that all the Christians were gone and I'd been left. Now, I slept in the same room with my brother, but, but seeing that he was still on the bottom bunk really didn't bring me any relief because I figured he wasn't going anyway. Uh, he, he wasn't going to make it either. Uh, so, so as I laid there, I had the idea, uh, well, I could tune in to the local Christian radio station. And, and if, if they're still on, you know, then, then the Christians are still around and I can go back to sleep and everything's great. So I turned it on and nothing was coming in. So I fiddled with it a little and I, I was static, just static. All the, And I was freaking out. I mean, this was it. But the, see, back then the radio stations went off at midnight and came back on at six. But, but I didn't know that. And uh, I was sure that I'd been left behind with my brother. I mean, this is tribulation. I was there ready. I was facing the tribulation right then and there. Jesus didn't tell us that he's coming back 
so that we'll be afraid. He was offering hope. He's promising deliverance. Uh, he's, he's encouraging that, that an end to suffering is coming and urging us to be ready to step into all of that. The, the Bible actually talks about this a, a, a lot. We, we maybe skim over it from time to time, but uh, just, a, just a few verses. John 14, 3, Jesus is talking to the disciples right before his uh, crucifixion. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Revelation 3.11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Revelation 22, uh, several different places. He says he's coming soon. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. scroll. Look, I'm coming soon. My, my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, the angels, when, when Jesus had ascended into heaven, the, uh, the, the disciples are standing there going, now what do we do? And, and the angels came uh, down and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taking, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Now, there's, there's a whole lot more. Those are just a few. But uh, the last half of the book of Daniel describes many pictures of end times prophecy. And uh, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, is, is all a, a vision of the apostle John uh, that he had about the, 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 what was coming in the last days. Paul, the Apostle Paul, mentions the last days and, and Jesus' return multiple times in his letters in the New Testament and uh, other New Testament writers do as well. I read this week that there are 318 references in the New Testament to the second coming of Christ. Jesus' return is a, is a pretty big part of what we Christians uh, believe. Uh, that, that this life, that this world is going to end and Jesus' return will usher us into eternity. Some will spend eternity in heaven with God while others will be, quote, cast into the lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the stakes seem pretty high. <laughs> so we'd better be ready uh, to, to face our physical death uh, and to face Jesus when he returns. I think it's a little bit like like playing hide-and-seek. You've probably all played hide-and-seek. Uh, after the person who is it counts, then he yells out, ready or not, here I come. And as a child, if I was hiding out somewhere and I heard that, ready or not, here, I knew that there were, there were three, at least three things that were true. Number one, uh, that guy that's it, he's, he's coming when he's ready. Number two, he's coming whether or not I'm ready. And number three, if I'm not ready, there are going to be consequences. I'm probably going to get tagged and, and I'll get found and, and all those things. Those same things are true uh, in, in light of Jesus' return. He's coming when he's ready, whether or not we are. And if we're not, there are some consequences. There's eternal consequences. John Tillotson, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the late 1600s, wrote, he who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. So today, uh, you can rest assured, I'm not going to pull out charts and graphs about what's going to happen at the end of the world. I don't have a timeline. I'm not selling any books. You can, uh, you, 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 there's, there's no, uh, uh, no push for you to purchase anything. 
I, I think scripture gives us some great metaphors and snapshots about all of this, but I don't have them all figured out. And I would, I would be very wary of anyone who thinks they have gotten them all figured out. Many people wonder if, if we are living in the end times right now. I mean, the circumstances of the day certainly line up with, with many of the things in scripture. The scripture says many things will happen uh, in the last days or as the last days are approaching. Uh, uh, and, and so that's true. We can point to things and say, man, look at this and look at that and look at this. However, I also know that throughout history, many people throughout generations have been pointing to look at this, look at this, look at this. It must be coming. Jesus must be coming soon. I like uh, uh, what I heard someone say not so long ago. Uh, yes, I believe we're living in the last days. And we have been for about 2,000 years. It could be any time. Uh, even as early as the writing of Second Peter, people were getting impatient. Wait, Jesus left. Uh, isn't, he, uh, isn't he coming back? I mean, what's going on? Second Peter 3, 4 says, uh, where is this coming that he promised? People are talking, Peter's quoting other people here. And he says, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as, as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, you're telling me that Jesus is coming back, but I, I don't see it. I mean, this, this was written like 30 years after Jesus' ascension. And, uh, and they were already like, oh, I mean, is he, is he really coming? Uh, we, we, we really, we need him to come. Uh, I mean, other, others throughout history uh, have, have been convinced of Jesus', uh, Jesus return uh, throughout uh, virtually every generation from, from his ascension until now. Here, here's a quote that I've, I've run across. It says, the last days are upon us. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. That statement was, was not uh, made by a modern prophecy expert or taken off somebody's YouTube channel. Uh, it was Ignatius in 110 AD. Uh, so they're, they're chomping at the bit. Uh, the last days are here. Uh, it must be today. It must be tomorrow. It's got to be soon. From our limited perspective in our lifetime, it certainly seems like Jesus could come back at any moment. And he could. Every generation before us has also thought that exact same thing and had much evidence to point to as well. So here's what, here's what I know. Saying all that, here's what I know. Jesus will come back. He promised that he would. He's coming. It, it, Jesus will come back. We are closer right now than we've ever been. At the end of this sermon, we'll be even closer. Uh, at the, at on Thanksgiving Day, we'll be even closer if he tarries between now and then, right? Uh, we are closer now than we've ever been. We don't have to be afraid of it, and we don't have to be obsessed with it. We just have to be ready for it. I told you earlier that I was scared to death in, in fourth grade for fear of missing out on Jesus' return. The second coming of Jesus was not a, a comforting thought for me. It wasn't a time of celebration. But when scripture tells about Christ's return, it's not meant to scare us, it's meant to prepare us. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And that uh, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Everything's going to be destroyed by fire. The earth is going to be laid bare. Heavens are going to disappear with a roar. Elements are melting with the heat. And you're looking forward to this, it says. Yes, we're looking forward because this is the culmination of everything God has promised and it will usher in his eternal perfect kingdom, free from sin and all of its consequences. This is the stuff of hope. There is, there is a perfect kingdom coming. It is very important to know all of this because we need to be ready for it. But what does it mean to be, so what does it mean to be ready for it? I mean, I, I think a lot of times we think, well, okay, I've, I've just gotta, I've gotta make sure that I've, I've got all the boxes ticked off and, and I've done all the things and I can answer all that and I've prayed the prayer and I've done the, th- okay, all right, now, oh, I hope, I just, I just hope I'm, hope I've done enough and I hope I'm ready. In, um, in high school, and I'm gonna, I don't know, this is a pretty major confession. In high school and college, I, I watched the movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail more times than I care to admit. I could quote probably two-thirds of it even to this day. There's a, there's a scene toward the end where they come up to the bridge of death and that gnarly guy with one, one good eye is standing there and, and he's asking questions three, air the other side you see, right? You got to answer these three questions and, and if you get those right answers, then you can go across the bridge, If you don't get those right answers, you are cast into the gorge of eternal peril. And actually they say it, paddle. And it's very, very high drama. Maybe not. Don't go home and watch that. Um, This is not the picture that we should have in our minds as we think about end things. That that we're going to come up and uh, I don't know where the picture came from of of St. Peter at the pearly gates. That's nowhere in scripture. But we don't have to like wait in line. Then we come up and they ask us questions. And did you do this? And did you do that? And and have you ever here? And uh, and then, okay, well, you can come in, but you can't. Uh, That's that's not the, uh, the, the picture in scripture. Being ready is not about having the right paperwork filled out and, and uh, uh, having all these things ticked off and, and then hoping beyond hope that we can go ahead and cross over into, into paradise. As Pastor John Ortberg has a habit of saying, Christianity is not about getting into heaven. It's about getting heaven into us. It's not about I'm going to live my life and then hope that I can step over in, on, the, on the right side uh, at the end. No, it's about living now. <laughs> Eternity starts now. Uh, that, that as, as, as God transforms us now, we're, we're becoming more and more like him. And it's not a question of am I ready, but I'm already living in this relation. But without into delving all, into all the details of heaven and hell this morning, again, with a, with a painting with a, with a wide brush, let me just say heaven is the place where God dwells. And where evil is absent. 
And hell is a place of evil and torment where God is absent. And there's been much speculation about those two eternal destinations and, and even about how, a, how could a loving God send people to hell. But it's, it's not God that sends people to hell. People choose to go by not taking Jesus up on his offer of heaven. Mark Twain expressed the attitude of a lot of people uh, in the, the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Probably been a while since you've read that. Let me remind you. There is uh, one point in the story where Huck is talking and he says, The widow Douglas told me all about the bad place. And I said, I wished I was there. She said it was wicked to say what I said. She said she was going to live so as to go to the good place. She said that all a body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going, so made up my, I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it, he said. And I think, first of all, let me just say, I think the widow Douglas has a skewed view of heaven. I don't think it's all about singing and playing the harp, uh, but that's a, probably another sermon somewhere, or maybe a series. Uh, but but uh, heaven is a place of holiness, right? And, and the amazing continual presence of God. And like Huck Finn... I think many people aren't all that interested in trying for it because they don't really want to be in the amazing presence of God because they don't really want to be holy. Dallas Willard said, if I don't want the unceasing presence of God in my life now, how could I truly want an eternity in the ceaseless presence of God? And again, John Ortberg, our issue with heaven is not so much about getting in, it's about becoming the kind of person for whom heaven would be an appropriate and welcome setting. You and I can truly feel fine, be at peace at the end of the world as we know it, because we're living in a right relationship with Jesus. That is the secret. Uh, we, are, we are truly longing for the unceasing presence of God face to face. Because we, we're getting a glimpse of it each and every day. As we live in relationship with Jesus. 1 John 2.28 says this. And now dear children. Continue in him. In Jesus. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. There will be two responses when Christ appears, either confidence or shame. We can be confident and unashamed if we remain in him, if we have continued in him. That, that word is the same, uh, can be translated remain. Uh, it's the same word used in John 15 describing Jesus as the vine and, and we're the branches and we need to remain in him and he'll remain in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It's the same word that, that, that John, the same guy writing the gospel of John, John 15, vine and branches remain in him. And now he's writing 1 John and he says continue in it. It's the exact same word in Greek as he's, he's saying we need to stay in this relationship. With, it's, it's connection. It's abiding. It's staying. Continue in him. Remain. It's the language of relationship. Accepting Jesus as your, your savior. And developing a relationship with him. Staying close. Growing closer. Obeying. Avoiding sin. If we live like that. Fear is, is nowhere to be found. We can be confident. Whenever he comes. Maybe it'll be now. Maybe it'll be a hundred years from now. We can be confident. 
On the shore of, of Lake Como, nestled in the Italian Alps, is a lovely old villa, perhaps two or three hundred years old. For years, the grounds have been immaculately kept by a trusted old gardener. One day, some tourists were, were complimenting the gardener on his work, uh, and, and they said, the, the owner must be here frequently to supervise your work. And, and the gardener said, no, sir. That gardener, uh, the, the owner has only been here one time in 15 years. And even then, I didn't even see him. Another tourist asked, well, then, how do you get your orders? And the gardener said, well, they come from the owner's agent who lives in Milan. And, and, and the, the tourist said, well, he must be here all the time. He said, no, about once a year or so. And the, the tourist then said, well, that's, that's just amazing. You have no one to supervise your work. And yet the grounds are as neat as if you expected the owner to come back tomorrow. Today, sir, the gardener responded loudly and right in his face. Not tomorrow. He could be back today. A lot is going to happen at the end of time. We can read all about it in scripture and we can get snapshots and see all those things and, and all of that. And we didn't dive into any of that today except to say a lot is going to happen at the end of time. Christians have been longing for Christ's return for a couple of thousand years. And it's closer right now than it's ever been before. Don't let that scare you. Don't be overly obsessed with it. Just, just continue in your relationship with Jesus. Stay connected to him and you'll be fine when it's the end of the world as we know it. 